and welcome back to Building Better Basketball, the Basketball Australia Coaches Podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach Development Manager at Basketball Australia. Today's guest will be one that many of you aren't aware of, but I promise in 20 to 30 minutes you won't forget him. Martin's background is unique. He spent a considerable amount of time growing up in Borneo, living with the Dayak headhunting tribe. After finishing high school, Martin spent six years in the AFL and Sandful systems, playing for St Kilda, Melbourne and Norwood football clubs. Following this, he travelled the world backpacking, and then upon returning to Australia, Martin studied primary teaching. After four years there, he joined the Resilience Project. Since 2016, he's conducted over 1,700 presentations across Australia, stakeholders at schools and their communities, corporations and elite sporting organisations, including the AFL, NRL and A-League. Martin's with us today because he's passionate about children being raised in a supportive and encouraging environment that invokes self-confidence and a zest for life. Martin, I've heard you speak many times before, both uh, personally and uh, professionally, and I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks for your time and welcome to Build and Better Basketball. No, thanks, Neil. Really appreciate, appreciate you putting up with me. <laughs> Martin, as someone whose job is to put himself out there daily in front of a room full of kids at schools and grab and maintain their attention, often when they'd rather be playing in the playground or basically just doing anything else rather than listen to some bloke up on a stage, that's the situation that many coaches face in gyms during the week, at weekends. What are some of the ways that you found that are the best to engage with this generation and your communication style is very unique to you as well, but what are some of your kind of communication tips? Um, I think the key the key with kids is, one, you've got to connect with them and, and you've got to engage. And so it's figuring out how you connect. It's figuring out how you engage with them. So depending on the cohort and who you communicate to, it's, it's I suppose, it's listening to them and, and finding out where their interests are. So... I mean, I suppose from my point of view, I'm, I've got like a thousand kids or 200 kids in the room. I can't get around and find out what they're all interested in um, immediately before I speak to them. But what I can do is watch them when I when they walk in the room, and I I try and interact, communicate with them, and get ins. And the ins are in terms of what shoes they're wearing. Um, it, they could be Jordans, it, it could be Air Maxes, it could be whatever. It's it's the way you get to connect with them. So then it's about I know that for for me. And there's a lot of research around the, imp the importance of music and exercise and laughter in terms of what that does to, uh, or anyone, but in particular the kids. So their verbal fluency, their engagement, their creativity goes up. But importantly, they're, they're open new information. Their working memory just goes to the roof. So for me, I, I use a lot of music. Um, I incorporate a, a lot, when I say exercise, dance, and, and, you know, busting a move to um, the music when I'm t talking to them and then I try and make them laugh. So when I do that, once I've done that, I then hit them with the information afterwards that I want them to re retain and recall. But every kid, every single kid disengages as soon as they believe they're being talked down to, as soon as they believe that you don't get what they're going through and as soon as they believe that you don't care. So that the number one thing I would say is that Give a kid an opportunity to talk, and then when they do talk, don't burn them. Listen. And that's what's really hard for an adult, um, whether it be a parent or a coach, is that more often than not, you're on the clock. 
And what I mean by on the clock, you've got a session planned and you've got an hour with these kids. You want to get through all the drills, et cetera. Depending on the standard of the kids, it might be elite sport where you've got to prepare for a big game and there's a different style that you want to have embedded in terms of whatever it may be for that week to counteract the you know, strengths of the opposition that you're coming up against. But peel it right back to the beginning of the relationship you don't teach anyone, you don't coach anyone until they believe that they can trust you. And I don't care how good a coach you are, I don't care how good a teacher you are, you're not teaching, you're not coaching anything until you have that trust. When you have that trust, then you're on. So what it is, and it's hard at the beginning, is that you've got to invest that time at the beginning where you believe you're probably not making, I suppose, progress with the, you know, the whether it might be the fine motor skills or, you know, depending on whoever it is you're coaching. But if you can, if you can learn if you can listen and then you can recall that information at a later date to show that that kid that you have retained the information they've shared with you, therefore you care, then you've got trust. And when they trust you, mate, they'll do whatever you want, man. They'll do whatever you want. Yeah. So, Martin, like I said in the introduction, you've you experienced the kind of pointy end of sport with your time in the AFL and then obviously you've seen countless organisations during your presentation and then in your current role you're seeing the kids every day and and the challenges that they're growing up with. Some of the things that coaches should be aware of, from your opinion, for not just creating the best basketballers, because that's that's something that everyone's striving to, and that's what the kids in the main want to be as well. But one of the kind of underlying tasks of a coach in any sport at any level is to also leave the players being better people. And that's... Uh, I guess something that we see a lot of uh, talked about at the, at the higher level, but probably not so much at, at that kind of community <clears throat> level. Well, I think number one is that I think there's nothing more powerful than an adult or a coach to talk to the kids, um, the adolescents that they're coaching about failure and about how they've failed. I think there's no such thing as perfection. So I don't play basketball, man, but I know Jordan – wasn't a, he wasn't he wasn't perfect no one is so get rid of that from the get-go because what I'm seeing with the kids nowadays is the following is that they are so scared quite often to give their absolute all their very very best to leave it all out on the court because they don't want their best to be judged to be not good enough so I'd rather stuff around I'd rather not give my heart I would rather not you know try my very very best. Because if I do and it isn't good enough, then what? So I see kids afraid to go against the grain. And what I mean by that is that they're worried about doing something that isn't normal. So whatever is, isn't normal, that's uncomfortable, right? So for our kids and for us as adults, anything that's uncomfortable, it's just it's not normal. We don't normally do it, right? So the, for a quick example, if I had said to you in January, 2020, you're going to wear a face mask for the next couple of years. You looked at me and said, you're crazy. And at the beginning, I remember when we were asked to wear face masks, when I walked out, I felt weird. Yeah, but then four months of everyone doing it, it was second nature. Just, you wouldn't even hesitate. And, you know, and even now, like getting on a plane or whatever, I've got no issue with it. And if someone's sitting next to me with one on, I don't look at them twice. But initially, it was foreign, right? So for our kids, what is foreign for them is that we, the adults, we don't tell them, we don't share with them our stuff-ups, our failures. And because we don't do that enough, they don't believe that it is normal to do so. So for us, and I know I might be talking 
you know, because I'm working with the Resilience Project. But um, the kids, if you want a kid to be resilient, then they've got to experience failure. Now, the key to that for a coach is the following, is that if you can give them, you know, in education we talk about zone of proximal development. So if you, want to, if you want to get a kid, and the coaches will know about flow states. So the flow state is when you're doing something and you're in it, but you're being challenged to a degree, right? And zonal proximal development is Vygotsky when you're teaching someone. You teach them about 60% of what they can do, but then the rest, the next bit's a challenge, right? So, And that's the, when they acquire a new skill set. But the key for it is for us as educators to be there for the kid, to support them, to give them the confidence to persist at it. Yes, it is hard. Yes, you're not going to attain it straight away. But you know what? If you persist, who knows? And they go through the churn, the grind. Now, when they go through the grind, that's the hardest part. But the beauty of it is that when they do get to that set destination where they finally succeed, they gain a new attribute that they can say, you know what? I've got a new skill set. Then we give them the positive reinforcement. That is crucial. So the positive reinforcement is, hey, that was tough. Gee whiz, you could have given up, but you didn't, man. Well done, you persisted. And you know what? You got through it. Now, this is the key component. They then, in the future, experience some adversity, the turn again, and they're not you know, willing to participate. And you can say, hang on, we've been here before. We've been here before. I know it was tough last time, but remember all those things, those strategies you implemented? That's what got you through, and now you can do it again. So what does it mean? It means when you're half – I don't know what it is in basketball, but you're 20 points down at halftime, all right? And you, and, and, but you know what? We've been here before. Remember five weeks ago, we were 28 points down, and we got back in it. So that's the belief, isn't it? They've been there, they've done it before. It wasn't a situation they wanted to be in being 28 points down, but they can recall it and they have a positive experience where it was bloody tough, but they got through. So for us, what the kids aren't seeing is we're not allowing them to understand that adversity, failure is normal, but then also flipping failure to, in fact, you know what? It might not be failure, it might be growth. Because if you don't fail, you don't grow. You don't get better. So I would say for coaches nowadays, it's understanding that our kids compare themselves to others on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it is. It, comparison is everywhere. And what we want them to be is comfortable in their own skin. So celebrate the strengths. Yeah, and don't just promote and endorse the kid who gets 28 points a game. What about the bloke or the, you know, the, you know, whoever it is, the girl, whoever that kid identifies themselves to be, and so they should be able to. That kid who busts their ass, man, and they do all the little things, yeah, to contribute to the team. Because when you identify the little things and you shine a beacon on it and you give that positive reinforcement, then you got buy-in. So from my point of view, a coach is not coaching basketball first and foremost. I'm with you. You're coaching a human being how to be a good human being. Get that right. Because yeah. if you get that right, I reckon, I don't know, but in basketball, don't you want your players to be uh, to be selfless? Don't you want them to display empathy when someone does an ACL and you know they're going to miss the whole season and you know every time they turn up on the weekend and watch the game, you're going to say to them they're a part of it, but really they, deep, deep down they don't feel like they're a part of it. They've never won a premiership before. That's the one year they do an ACL and they miss out. Yeah. All right, don't you want them to understand that, hey, how lucky are we to spend time with each other? This is bloody awesome, man. You get to hang out with your best mates every Monday, Wednesday, Friday when we train and we play on Sundays. How good is this? Well, they're all the things that I want the kids to be able to breathe and live and celebrate because then, I don't know, mate, 
There's so many wonderful things that you can teach kids through sport that are important in life. But it's a flipper as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's a full think, circle. Yeah, that's there's so many things there, Martin. But like one of the main ones is like if you ask someone to try and remember a person that made a, a large impact on their life, I reckon 50 to 60% of people would, would probably pick a primary school teacher. Now, part of that is because of the large amount of time that you spend with a teacher um, when you're in primary school. But the second part of that is I think they, primary school teachers don't just teach one thing. They're not your English teacher. They're not your maths teacher. They're there. They're doing PE with you. They're doing um, like social skills. They're doing all that stuff. And they're spending that time trying to holistically cover everything that potentially is of interest to you. And there's going to be something like the machine gun approach. You're going to remember them for something that's made a difference. This, this is where I see and I'm not giving secondary school systems grief because it's not their choice. Like the system sets it up. But coaches and secondary school teachers, everyone that I see, whenever they stuff it up, is when they say to me or anyone else, I don't teach the kid, I teach content. Now, my retort to that is, mate, you do not teach content. You teach a kid with a heartbeat that is ticking first. You teach that heartbeat, that ticker first, then you teach content. Because what they don't get, and where they stuff up always is that if you don't have a kid that is happy or is content or is comfortable in their own skin, they're not listening to a word that you are saying because they've got other serious matters on their mind that, with all due respect, are more important to basketball or bloody economics. It's their world where they're copying grief during the night on social media. It's their world where their parents are fighting at home. And you know what? They've just been told they're going to spend three days of the week at one of the houses and four at the other. Like fair income, man. Now, someone will say to me, and this is a flipper, some people will say, well, basketball, that's the out. That's their release mechanism. Sport is. And it is to a degree if they love it. But if sure. they don't love it, right, and you haven't got them. Like, I, I grew up loving footy, and I had some amazing footy coaches, but I had a few coaches where I didn't enjoy footy. Now, it's not their fault. I'm part of the problem. I'm going to put my hand up there. I'm not a victim. But at the same time, I know that, you know, being a footy coach, when I've coached at private schools, hand on my heart, I'd say that, and I'd be kidding myself if I said to you that every kid liked me because I had kids missing out, cracking it, and I had their parents cracking it because they wouldn't get a game. Um, and I know for a fact that there's no way every kid I've coached would say, oh, he's the best coach I've ever had or he's the best bloke I've ever had because for whatever reason in that time, I didn't connect with them. So it's you can't connect with every kid, but you can try. You Martin, can try. You've mentioned parents a couple of times there and 80% of our coaches are parents and the 20% that aren't would probably say that parents are probably one of their biggest challenges. <laughs> You've also mentioned sports, one of those things that can sometimes be the highest point of a young person's life. And on occasions, sometimes regularly, unfortunately, it can be their lowest point. And often 
both those highs and lows can be amplified by the reactions and the behaviors of the parents. We aren't going to be able to change the world in this podcast. Um, but you obviously, again, you're presenting to these kids and then they're going home and relaying your message to the parents, I guess. And I'm interested on, on your thoughts on, I guess, the parents and sports conundrum as well. From the parents' point of view, it's the highest stakes ever because it's their kid and they love their kid with everything they've got. But every adult stuffs up whenever they have a high stakes conversation when they're emotional. So what I mean by that is the following. If things don't go the kid's way, as a parent, you believe, and I'm a parent of three kids, but you believe you have to step in and protect them. Life is not fair. They are going to miss out. Would you not want them to learn how to deal with that when they're a kid, when they've got you as their backbone, as their support, as opposed to saving them, protecting them, and they become an adult, and then all of a sudden it hits a fan, but the parents aren't around. This is what I see all the time, right? I'll be blunt. I see parents save their kids, protect their kids, and then their kids get to 25, 26, 27, 28, and they fall in a hole. And you know what? They don't know what to do. Do you know why that kid, that adult now doesn't know what to do? Because every time they fell in a hole when they were a kid, their parents saved their bacon. Allow them to fail. Allow them to know that sometimes it hurts. Allow them to know that sometimes you disagree and it's not fair. But you know what? Life is about other people sometimes making decisions that you can't control. I'm not going to get into politics, but I don't control what Dan Andrews did the last couple of years. But you know what? I'm not going to suck and moan about it. All right? We're in a lockdown. Get over it. Get on with it. I do control my backyard, though. So what I mean by that is, is that if a coach makes a decision, I can't control that, but I can control my backyard. So therefore, maybe I could model to my kid, all right, you disagree with the decision, why? Okay, well, why don't you go and approach your coach and talk to them and present to them your observations? And then crucially for you, though, you need to listen to theirs, reasoning for why you didn't make it. Now, then hopefully the coach has been transparent. But this is every kid, they fear being exposed. And when parents yell on the sidelines, they expose their kids. The kids tighten up because they have outside influences impacting on their game. There's a whole thing in elite sport called mindfulness, right? And mindfulness is every elite athlete is practicing it because they need to stay in the moment and they need to let go and they need to concentrate on what comes next. And do you know where every parent rolls their kids? When they start barking, yelling instructions from the sidelines because what they're not doing is allowing their son, their daughter, whoever it may be, to be in the moment. I know it's tough, but you know what? Let go. You just got to let go. And that's the toughest thing to do in the world as a parent because you're not in control. So that's when it gets muddy for them. But I would say to a parent as well, if you're going to crack it at a coach, then can I just give you a bit of perspective? How would you like it if I were, walked into your workplace and started ripping your head off? 
Now, this is where the parents stuff up because they start getting personal and start abusing coaches, right? Okay? So then the coach, with all due respect to the parent, I would say they've been impacted by that. It's happened to me a few occasions, right? So you get impacted by that and then you're not enjoying the coaching. So then what happens? We don't have coaches. So then the parents need to start coaching. I triple dare them to try and do it. And then the second one from that is, is that if the coaches aren't bringing their A game, guess, and that means they're worried about, you know, I don't know, confrontation from parents, et cetera, then guess what happens? Then the only person who suffers is your kid because the coach isn't being able to focus on what they want to do best, and that's to support the kids. So from my point of view, I know I'm being blunt, but support your kid, but let go. But you know how you can support your kid? By when they don't get picked or when they don't get 30 points or when they don't get as much of the ball or when they lose, say to them, hey, you have good days and you have bad days. But you know what? There's something that you can do right now. You can respond and practice and get better and talk to the coach and find out what deficiencies you could possibly work on or you can play the victim card and suck and moan. But sucking and moan is getting you nowhere. So what do you want your kid to be? Do you want them to be a problem solver and do you want them to be independent? Or do you want them to continually rely upon you to get them out of jail and make them feel like a victim? That's oh, blunt, but that's how it is from where I say it. Yeah, I think sometimes the hitting topics like that right between the eyes are the way to go. Martin, the question we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, just to finish up, if you could ask one coach in the world, any sport, and they can be with us or moved on, a question, who's the coach and what is the question? So for me, what's your background there? Where are you originally from? Like Glasgow. Glasgow. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. So, um, I thought you were, I don't know, I didn't want to ask because, well, I knew, I thought you were from Scotland, but you know, Glasgow, there's a, if I said, you know, Celtic or Rangers, you, you might <laughs> throttle me through the screen if I got it wrong. But for me in the same code, it is, and it's not because of what he's done, it's Jurgen Klopp, all right? Now, Jurgen Klopp's the Liverpool manager. Now, the reason why Jurgen Klopp for me is the one is because that bloke goes against the grain. He does, he is his own man and he enables and empowers his team to be comfortable in their own skin. And what he does that I believe that is better than anyone is that when he talks about coaching or team selection or transfers or a player, he talks about the human qualities, the characteristics that he believes are what good humans should display. So for me, he talks about how life is tough. He talks about how going against the grain is very important. So what is going against the grain? What I referred to at the very beginning, no one else is doing this, go there. So you're playing away against, and it's a hostile environment. You've got no supporters and you're willing at half time to be loud and to say to all your teammates, we're still in this, we're still in this. And one bloke, one parent from the opposition goes, you got no clue, mate. You're 20 points down. You're getting smashed. And that kid goes, we'll show you. Now, 
that kid now has gone out on a limb because he's just feeding that parent. That parent is like going, right, if we win, I'm going to come back at that kid. But at the same time, that kid's willing to put himself on the line and give all his teammates the understanding that he still believes. And when he still believes, then those other kids go, you know what, if he still believes, so do I. So I'm getting pumped up right now talking about it. But Jurgen Klopp, <laughs> He, I would, he, he's someone who inspires you for, to be a good person and to chase what you want and to not worry what all the detractors or the naysayers believe. He reinforces to everyone that he coaches and everyone who I believe listens to him who follows the team that he coaches, which is Liverpool in this instance, to believe. Just to believe, mate. You're never out of it. Like, you're only out of it if you say you are and you give up. But, mate, just go. So, for, I get, I would do anything, not to play for Liverpool, but to be coached in, in backgammon, in bocce by a bloke <laughs> like Jurgen Klopp because he would make me walk taller. He would make me want to help all my teammates and he'd make me be proud. I think this is the biggest one, to be proud to belong to a set of values and a group of people who walk and live by those values. And that's that for me is what, if I ever coach anything ever again, the kids, I just want those kids to feel like they belong to our clan, to our tribe, to be proud for what we stand for, what we represent, and then to be proud for what each and every single one of us um, displays on the weekend, on the pitch. And that is not winning or losing. That's being a good sportsman and a good human being. Giving your all, never giving up, being proud of your efforts, recognising what others do, putting your hand up when you get beaten and say, well done, but still getting around all your mates and say, hey, we can go again, though. And then when we do go again, we finally get there. How good is it? I don't know about you, Neil. How good is it, though, when you play in a team and you're the underdog? Right, and you have like you haven't beaten this team all season, and you come to the finals, and they rock on up, and they're arrogant, and they're walking around, and they're being loud, and they think it's all done, man, it's all done, and you've got a team that you're coaching, and these kids might not be as talented as the opposition team, but geez, they've got ticker, and they've got heart, and they're willing to just try their best, and on this day, for whatever reason, you get up, you get up. And you sit there and you are so proud of the kids that you coach because this is a moment, like, and I think for every adult, like, you can go back to a, a sporting match where you played in one of those games that you never forget. And it might have been in the under-10s, but you never, ever forget that. And so, for me, that's what Jürgen Klopp gives me the belief of doing is that having a moment like that, you know, and... Um, yeah, man. So what I'd ask him to be is why are you so comfortable in your own skin? Happily by, be coached by you on my morning walk to get a coffee, mate. <laughs> um, I think you uh, I think you underestimate the uh, the power of your ability to do what Jurgen Klopp does as well. Now, I've taken up more of your time than I asked for. Anyone that wants to, that doesn't know about the Resilience Project, I urge you to, to search them out on social media and, and have a look at the great work that Martin and Hugh and the, and the team over at the Resilience Project do. And uh, Martin, from myself, 
and everyone that's listening, thank you so much for giving up your time this morning. Hey, Neil, can I just say one thing to you? Thank you so much to you because, like, with all due respect, I don't listen to podcasts, and so I, <laughs> I haven't listened to any of yours. But to do this for the for the community that you are so passionate about, I think's bloody unreal. And do you know the one thing as coaches that we need to do more of is is to collaborate and to help one another. Sometimes as coaches, we we protect our IP. You know what I mean? And we don't want, oh, I've got a new drill or, you know, whatever it may be. But if we work together, we all grow. So support one another. Um, and what you're doing, I, I think, is bloody marvellous. And if it can help the kids, that's what we're all in it for, isn't it? Just to help the yeah. kids. 100%. So good on you and good on you, all the listeners as well. Keep doing what you're doing because um, if my three kids ever play basketball, I'll be bloody pumped because they've got people like you who are, who are listening to this, um, who are giving their all to them. So thank you. Really appreciate it.